All right, welcome back to another episode. Hey, all you crazy sci-fi and fantasy fans. It's time for your daily dose of shenanigans over here at the Blasters and Blades podcast. Just three nerdy veterans geeking out over our science fiction passions and fantastical fantasies. A place where magic is king, the sky is the limit, and space is the place. So without further ado, we will introduce you to the guest that needs no introduction, mostly because she's been here a lot. We kind of like having her around. We've got the one, the only, Miss Mel Todd. Can you uh, tell hey, anyone? Can you tell anyone who doesn't know who you are? All twelve people in the back row in the cheap seats. Can you tell them a little bit about Mel Todd? Uh, I am a writer and owner of Badass Publishing. I've got about twenty-five or more books out. I keep losing count. I've been writing for quite a while, and I know both Seska and Jr. because we're all a little bit crazy, and you all know that crazy makes the best friends. Indeed, I wouldn't have it any other way. And I actually, so the next part of the introduction, dear listeners, how we first found them. And uh, like we've said before, I actually found Mel through Seska, and we won't belabor the point. Um, incriminating pictures might have been involved. I don't know. Mel and Seska are weird like that. And we'll just move on because non-disclosure agreements were signed. So since this is the Blasters and Blades podcast, we can't let you escape without the religion question. But as I've said, you've been here before, so we're mixing this one up. So which church did you attend? The Last Starfighter, Warehouse 13, or Flight of the Navigator? Oh, Lord. If those are my only churches, I'll take Warehouse 13 because, you know, I can find anything in the warehouse. This is true. I did kind of like Warehouse 13. That was the inspiration the for one of my short stories set at Area 51. <laughs> See, though, though, honestly, my first love's still going to go to Eureka because, well, Eureka and science rocks. So Seska and I will just move there and be perfectly happy. Yeah, but stuff's always blowing up in Eureka. And this is a bad thing. Why? If you're the one blowing up. Well, then I won't care anymore. But if I get to blow other things up, then it's totally cool. Eh, fair enough. So... All right, and because we can't let you get out here without showing our polytheistic nature, the Shannara Chronicles, The Witcher, or Grimm? Meh. Uh, honestly, the only one I can answer to is the Shannara Chronicles, but that's because I read them 30 years ago. Uh, it hasn't been I'll that long, don't you lie. Yes, it has. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll freely watch Henry Cavill half-naked any day of the week. I don't know if that qualifies as TMI or not, but we'll accept. I'm pretty just, sure uh, every single female I know will completely agree with me. All right. And since we've introduced her with all the how she got started writing questions, you should just check out her earlier interview. It was one of the first 10 I think we did. Uh, and in the meantime, let's talk about the episode today. So today we'll be doing a brief episode where we dive into the world of anthologies uh, novellas, novelettes, and short stories. So we're going to introduce uh, and interview authors about their contribution to this undervalued world of short content. I do think uh, short content platforms are, are dying, and they're sadly not as fiscally viable in this uh, Amazon series market. And I'd like to help change that. So today we have the Summer Solstice Shenanigans Anthology on deck. And I hope somebody can say that three times fast, because it won't be me. <laughs> Summer solstice shenanigans. 
close I had enough. to convince the cat that she didn't need my seat. She didn't agree with that. Yeah, and I got a dog barking for oh. some reason. And he just fed him, and we just walked two miles. I don't know what he's complaining about. All right, so let's see what this summer solstice shenanigans anthology is all about. <clears throat> a full moon solstice. Let the magic flow. Feel the power. Faye, come to the world. Come out to play. Vampires rove from dusk till dawn, and werewolves howl. Do they howl? On this one fateful night, out come the witches, demons, vampires, shifters, and fantastic creatures in a celebration of magic and mayhem. Some spells can only be cast or curses broken on this rare enchanted night. Uh, scroll down. Uh, if you dare, follow the fade down the magical path, but beware of getting forever lost. The trouble around every corner amidst the glow of the supernatural. The Summer Solstice Anthology includes 25 brand new, never before published urban fantasy short stories from international best-selling archers, authors, not archers, though they might be archers, as well as exciting new talent. All right, so the movie trailer's job is saved for one more day, but someday I will take him on. <laughs> Not today. So, what is your Not story today. in this anthology called? Let me try that again. What is your story in this anthology called? <laughs> I wrote a story called Noodle Day, which is probably the most unusual title of any of the stories in the anthology. <laughs> so, I it was an open call to 20 books to 50K members. And basically it was write something that is urban fantasy about that happens on the solstice. And I'm like, okay. And I just started Googling stuff about the solstice because I know a couple things, but I wanted something a little bit more interesting. And I stumbled across the fact that in China, it's common for noodles that was normally like the first noodles you made from the harvest so it would be the spring grain, summer grain being harvested and ground. That would be the first noodles you made of the year to celebrate the solstice and the first harvest. And I just thought that was an interesting idea. And then I kept, I'm very, we've talked about this before. I'm very much one of those people that keeps pulling on threads and pulling on threads. And I just had this kind of weird story pop into my head where a child is celebrating the summer solstice with her you know family heritage which is having noodles on this day and it all goes wrong and in my story dragons basically appear all over the world and it happens on the solstice because it's the longest day of the year and it's often regarded as the day where magical things can happen because night has been pushed back so far. And so all the dragons appear. The problem is, is when the dragons appeared, their appearance or their hatching killed her mother. And I take it from there. How do you adapt to a world that suddenly has magic pouring into it? And I had a lot of fun writing it. I mean, it, it's an interesting, it, it, it fulfills the correct short story tropes, which is it always needs to have a twist and it always needs to come back to the beginning. If a short story doesn't come back to the beginning, it doesn't quite meet what you need a short story to do. Okay, you answered three questions in one, but I appreciate it because I was on mute because Elvis wouldn't stop barking. 
All right. So does this story fit into a larger universe? It does not. It was a totally just unique universe because within my Bill Kaled series and my Twisted Luck series, the solstice doesn't really have any meaning outside of a few practitioners of Wicca. And it wasn't anything that I could think about how to put it into my current universe and have it mean anything. And I write random stories about various things all the time. Heck, I just sent you one that's pulp science fiction to see if it's any good. So you stagnate as an author if you only ever write one thing. So lots of times with my short stories and my other fiction, I take things in other directions that have nothing to do with my established series because someday, in theory, I will have lots and lots of different series with many different worlds all over the place. I think I want to be Mercedes Lackey when I grow up. A noble ambition, but but can you pull it off? I don't know. She had a unique style about her. Well, I'm a I have a very unique style. I just need to be as prolific. All right. So given um, that this is an urban fantasy genre, um, well, first off, if you since it doesn't have a larger universe, what amount of peer pressure is it going to take to get you to to write this universe? Well, if we get lots of people writing the books and they actively contact me going, I love Jen. I want to see what happens after she agrees at the end of the story. And I do set it up. So it's an established, there's a universe there. I set up and mention things that are changing about this world. So I could easily write a standalone or even a trilogy in this universe without much effort. It, I was talking to somebody else. I said, basically, when it comes down to it, most authors, almost all authors are whores at the bottom of our heart. We write things because we love it, but we sell them because they make us money. If it makes me money, I am going to be more than willing to write more of it. Fair enough. So ladies of the evening will now be a a hashtag. (laughs) Actually, it should be authors of the evening. Pay us for our words. All right, that's there too. All right, I don't know what they're going to think about all these weird hashtags and if anyone will actually look for them, but they're fun to think about. So would the rest of this universe then obviously be urban fantasy as well? Yes, by definition it would have to be. Because I do mention at some point that the dragons came first, but once the doors are open, other things come in too. So speaking of urban fantasy, what is it about this subgenre that appeals to you? A lot of it is that, so I, like most people my age, have read The Lord of the Rings and most of the Tolkien stuff. I've read The Cimmerillion and everything else. When you read truly epic fantasy, you have to throw away everything that makes up our existence and dive into a world in which other than possibly having a human and having uh, guys and women in it, you don't really have anything else that can anchor you, that you understand what it's like. Most people have never spent five days on a horse. Most people have never cooked over a campfire. Most people don't know how to skin a deer or fire a bow or read a track in a wood. So you have to be willing to accept 
all of this. And, and don't get me wrong. I know there's going to be people out there saying, well, I've done this. I've done this. I've actually done quite a few of those things. But the majority of people just haven't. The fun thing about urban fantasy is most of the time it's set in something that you can sink into and understand. So when I'm writing about dodging cars to cross the street, be them steam-powered vehicles, electric vehicles, gas-powered, you, most people completely understand what I mean when I say you're dodging cars to cross the street. Even if I, the cars are then driven by dragons or elves or dwarves, you still have something that you can associate with and that makes sense to your own experiences. And that's what's really fun with urban fantasy is you get to take the modern, the everyday stuff, the Starbucks on the corner, the cell phone, wearing high heels, having a boss that's chewing on you because you're late and twist it and make it interesting by adding magic, by adding other races and by adding stuff, but still give the reader something that they can associate with. As much as I love urban fantasy, I don't really know what it's like to sleep in a castle where you have a garter robe that is the closest thing you have to a toilet where you have somebody shirt serving you pickled eels for dinner and then having to go clean out the stable every single day. And yes, I do know the pickled eels would be a nobility food and not the commoner food, but you get what I'm saying. I can't really sink into any of those, but with urban fantasy, you can. Was that too long and rambling of an answer? <laughs> not at all. And um, yes, I do realize that the rough life that would be most um, fantasy is not something most people can relate to intrinsically. So I, I can see where that disconnects that urban fantasy gives you a bridge over that. Yeah. So yeah. that makes sense. That's why whenever I read <clears throat> about older stories and they've got people hoofing it. And as an infantryman, I just think they didn't change their socks enough. <laughs> well, there's a couple really well-known authors that have been around for a long time. And if you go read their older books, they talk about having to, you know, stopping at every block trying to find a payphone to call somebody and nowadays you're just like yeah, yeah whatever you dig your small computer out of your pocket and you look up things on the net and you can uh, call anybody you want without even doing anything and it's almost hard to read something where they don't have communication because you're going dude just call them yeah that is a uh, one huge change i could see so um, speaking of urban fantasy, have you seen that new Netflix series they have, Sweet Tooth? Uh, that's uh, urban fantasy, sort of the beginning of hybrid beings? I've, I've looked at it. I have not watched it yet. I have watched very, very little urban fantasy as of yet. Actually, one that I've, I turned a friend on to is called Teresi, T-R-E-S-E. -E, and it's a Philippine, Filipino animated urban fantasy and most of their spells are in tagalog which i just find amusing so i need to watch that one too um grim if you've watched that one um was um that was urban fantasy the detectives in in portland yeah. that were 
So that would count. I watched those with the misses. Um, but yeah, well, I don't have as much. Shadow and Bone on Netflix right now, which is super popular uh, by Leah Bardo. I'm probably pronouncing her last name right, but it's Bardo. And you've got The Nevers on, I think it's HBO. You've got a couple. And then, of course, there's Bright. Bright is urban fantasy slash shadow run to the nth degree. I mean, your partner is a cop, is an orc. Uh, how much more urban fantasy can you get? Bright is well worth watching. If you've never watched it, you, you got to watch Bright. It, and it's actually a movie, so it makes it easier to watch. I will have to check that out. I don't get, like I said, I don't get a lot of TV time. Uh, and what little uh, bit Bright's I do. Worth, Bright is on Netflix. It's worth watching. It is literally somebody filmed a Shadowrun game. It's well, amusing. Most of what I watch at this point, and by the time the kids are in bed, it's like, well, I guess if it's not kid appropriate, and then once they're in bed, I, you know, you try to take advantage of that lost time. <laughs> so it doesn't always happen like I would like. Uh, but, see, this is why I avoided children, and all of mine have four feet and fur. Well, those take a lot of attention too, as if anybody who heard Elvis barking today can tell you. <laughs> But enough about children and dogs and offspring. Um, so, you know, we intended these episodes to be short, and so we'll we'll keep our word. So, uh, before we let you go, if there was any, is there any one urban fantasy universe which, across the mediums, games, books, movies that you'd want to live in, and why? So that's always a trick question, and it's a trick question because. It is. Do you, would you want to live in it as an NPC? The answer is probably not. Would I want to live in them as one of the powered special beings? Absolutely. Right now, I'd have to say if I got to cho choose, it would probably either be Alona Andrews' Hidden Legacy World, which is just excellent, but you need to have a good power at a prime level to make it worth it. Or... Hmm, probably Mercedes Lackey's series, uh, Diana Tregar. But I'd want Diana's powers, so. <laughs> I mean, I, I have no desire to live in the Nita Blake's or in Laurel K. Hamilton's world because, well, I'd be vampire food, and that doesn't sound very appetizing. Oh, they all liked uh, it. Daniels. She was into that weird stuff. Yeah, yeah, I'd get eaten. I, I mean, that's the problem is most of the urban fantasy worlds, lots of them are extremely dark. Mine actually isn't. My Both of my fantasy worlds tend to be rather light and complicated, but they aren't. I, I get bored with somebody trying to kill you all the time, if that makes sense. I'm sure the characters it, it, do, too. Yeah, well... I don't know. I've always had an issue with the fact that, oh, somebody's trying to kill me every other chapter. After a while, you kind of go, screw this, I'm moving to Alaska. Or you snap and you become the person trying to kill everybody. So yeah. nah, my stuff isn't quite as dark or as out to get you as everything else is. Okay. The IRS. The IRS is always trying to get people. They want their money. Indeed they do. 
I always remind people that it wasn't the FBI that brought down Al Capone. It was the IRS. <laughs> exactly. So one last question for the road. So of all of the fae and fantasy creatures in urban fantasy universes, which one is your favorite? Wow. That's like totally not fair because I've got like five of them I'm writing right now and I love all of them. All right. Well, what are those five? So I've got a, what I call a cat, C-A-T-H. It's Welsh for cat which is fully sentient with opposable thumbs and a prehensile tail. He's lots of fun. I have a Gorgon, which is always fun. I have a meat-eating unicorn, who is an absolute, uh, good Lord, is this PG-13 or not? <laughs> Up to you. Let's just say I have a meat-eating unicorn you would not want to meet. And then I've got three different, or, two to three different types of dragons. And then I have a dryad. I mean, when you get to ride them, all of them are fun. I mean, that they're just, they're all your favorites because they're your little toys that I'm playing on the chessboard and then getting annoyed when they don't do what I want them to do. Sounds like they need some discipline. Oh, that would be nice, except then they would pout and sulk and then it's just worse. Right, My characters are, are not not um, very obedient. What's your least favorite fa uh, creature in a fantasy universe, or urban fantasy, I should say? Uh, probably the stereotypical unicorn that likes maidens and only talks to virgins. It, it's just, it's boring and trite and honestly doesn't make much sense. I, I've, I've rarely seen it done well when they are I mean, you've got uh, Peter S. Beagles, the last unicorn. But after a while, I start having questions like, why does a herbivore have a weapon on its head? Why and how does it know that you're a virgin? What, what's the definition of virgin? And why would it care? And if it does care what does that mean see I, I start having all these questions and then the concept falls apart dragons are easier they want gold because they it melts into nice soft beds that's why they want it here i just thought it was shiny and pretty no gold's actually really malleable and lead is kind of ugly so they, they it's shiny and pretty but it's malleable so they can push it down and make a bed and, i mean because they're really hot so it's probably relatively soft yeah, but then it liquefies and they're laying in a giant puddle. And in all of the paintings, do you ever see that liquid gold beds? No, it's all piled around them. Well, it's not my fault that the artists don't have a good enough imagination. <laughs> all right. Well, we promise I mean, you shortly. It's the ultimate waterbed. <laughs> we promise you. <laughs> all right. Well, now we know who remembers the 80s with that waterbed reverence. Um <laughs> So we promised you short, so we'll deliver a short episode on this short content. So as we bring this home, Mel, how can listeners find you? You can find me on Facebook, and I will be doing a – we're doing a all-day release party on the 21st of June, which is when Summer Solstice is and when the book releases. And I will be talking to people and handing prizes out on June 21st from 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. 
So come see me then. I am on Facebook under Badash Books or Mel Todd. And other than that, occasionally Instagram and Twitter. Again, Badash Books will find me just about everywhere. All right. And you can find us on our website at anchor.fm backslash blasters tech and tech blades anchor.fm backslash blasters tech and tech blades you can find us on twitter at sf underscore fantasy underscore show sierra foxtrot underscore fantasy underscore show you can email us at blasters and blades podcast at gmail.com you can hang out with us on facebook where all the shenanigans happen at facebook.com backslash blasters and blades podcast you can support the show over on anchor fm uh, anchor.fm backslash blasters tech and tech blades for a monthly donation if you so desire to help keep the lights on or you can make a one-time donation to buymeacoffee.com backslash author jr hanley be sure to put in the comments section that it's for the podcast and i promise that we will keep saska and nick duly intoxicated and drinking all of the um adult beverages until their liver surrenders all right. So thank you for spending some of your precious time with us. For Nick Garber and Doc Seska, I am J.R. Hanley, and this was the Blasters and Blades podcast. We'll be back next week at the same time where we'll indulge our love of nerd culture, cheesy jokes, and all things that go boom.